0: things that Paul always says is um he wants to start record well I've got a cat here that's being recorded um he wants to start recording like right away because he doesn't want to lose anything in case there's something really good that we start talking about. Mm -hmm. That's true it's
1: true I mean most of when you're editing is just lopping off the beginning or the end when you're doing like intro stuff but you never know if that stuff becomes important later down the road.
0: Yeah well I guess um or wherever this video starts, or if we just play it from the beginning, I'll kick it off a little bit with, um, you know, I've, I've been on the channel seven several times, uh, seven might be right. I don't know, but certainly several times. Uh, and I'm, uh, my name is Jeff and I'm kind of the de facto curator of all of the conversations that go up on the Randos United channel. Um, and i don't know do you want to introduce yourself because i'm not sure that you've been on sure. any any channels or had any conversations online i don't know if this is your first time talking to anybody or not
1: yeah this is my first time doing a randos thing for sure or in <laughs> paul vanderclay or i mean uh i can explain how i got involved but i haven't actually been up online yeah um, so
0: i'll just interrupt got- for just a second right um you and I came in contact through the the Bridges of Meaning Discord, which um, Paul's um, Sacramento meetup group uh, put together, or some folks in Paul's Sacramento meetup group put together, Uh, and sorry, I thought there was something else that I wanted to say there, but you're on the Discord, you're Michael C., right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and that is, that is in fact me. In fact, (laughs) I think (laughs) my Zoom displays my full last name, so which is neither here nor there, but uh, we can yeah, that's, that's, that's that actually me. too. If you, if
0: you not a,
1: well, no, I mean it's fine. If people <laughs> want to track me down, if people want to find me, that's just fine with me. Yeah, um, I'm I'm there to be found and and talked to, assuming you have time, which I probably will have loads of time. Um, but then again, I don't know. Uh, so my my uh, my profession is that I tutor. And I can. I have the possibility of doing a lot of tutoring online.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So with all this coronavirus shutdown, schools going out, um, you know, and it, I think that school year is going to be canceled altogether in most places if it hasn't been already. That's what it so, sounds like. Yeah. So I mean, online tutoring could become a high demand thing. Uh, yeah. For the moment, I have in-person things that I'm that are keeping me busy, but it could change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah day by day, and and then all of a sudden I'll be crazy busy. But I'll, I'll try to respond to people if they want to track me down, talk
0: to me. Yeah. Well, uh, um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to cut you off, but there was something else you wanted to say there. Well,
1: I mean, I was trying to think. Of there, I think maybe you had asked me more broadly about my involvement. I, I don't remember exactly what the question was at this point.
0: I can't remember either. <laughs> One of the things that I just wanted to ask you is just tell, you know, Tell me a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Anything else? Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I will. Uh, so I grew up in Salinas, California, um, and I found my way out here in Tucson, Arizona, where I am really deeply involved with a church, pretty small church called the village church and the village church. One of the pastors is a guy named Rod Hugan, mm-hmm. and he is a very good friend of Paul Vanderclas, and they're best buds um, because they were involved with the Christian Reformed Church, the CRC denomination, and they would go back to the Midwest uh, for these like um, meetings of various kinds. It's like the Home Missions Board, I think it was. I'm sure they could correct me with all the details, but in any case, they're high up mucky mucks in the denomination and they would <laughs> fly out for these meetings. And uh, since they were both on West coast time or close enough in Arizona, we don't do daylight savings time. So a lot of times we're in the same time zone effectively as the West coast mm-hmm. and they would not be able to fall asleep and they would spend hours together with everybody else. So, so when Paul got started with this whole, you know, Peterson, commentary thing and then started this meetup stuff started the discord which we eventually met through mm-hmm. um i i was immediately connected through rod and rod has been up online and talking to paul Vanderclay before and yep. um and then really what catalyzed me getting involved um really because i kind of put it off for a long time um Rod kept telling me, yeah, Paul has this thing, Jordan Peterson, blah, blah, blah. And that's how it sounded to me, you know, like, yeah, whatever. That's not my it's not my thing. Um, but he thought it might be because I, I actually did um, my undergrad degree in philosophy and then I went on and did a master's degree in philosophy. And so I've got this philosophy background, but I hadn't really heard of Jordan. Well, I mean, I kind of had heard of, but I haven't really Gotten into anything with Jordan Peterson stuff, and so it just seemed kind of like I don't know this side. It, it just really wasn't my thing. Like he was like, "We want you to start a Jordan Peterson meet-up, or Paul does anyway." Um, and Rod's like, "Well, I don't want to do it, so you do it." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, that's not. <laughs> one of the things that we value at our church is authenticity. It's like one of our core values." And I'm like, "Well, that's not really authentic to me. I mean, I could do it, and people would show up maybe, but..." Seems kind of like a gimmick at this point. At this point it's not. Right now, uh months later, it's not a gimmick. But um but that's how that's how I found myself here is that Paul was going on this uh this tour and we're finally like, okay, let's get let's get serious, let's organize online, let's put together a meetup.com dot com account, let's advertise, um and and then I was like, okay, what's the d- Discord server stuff all about? I'll check that out. And so I've been diving into all these different little nooks and crannies of the internet and figuring out what's going on. And uh, and then you were posting some really cool stuff about Switchfoot, and so <laughs> that's that's what that's what brings us here today. Basically, is that I, I realized there's another person out on the internet who likes Switchfoot at least as much as I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, I uh, oh, I wanted to ask you. You may have said this, and I missed it. But how did you how did you link up with the Village Church and meet Rod in the first place?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question and potentially a really long story. I'll try and give it a, like a short version, and we can dive into it longer if you're curious. Yeah. Um, so I started out my college career studying computer engineering turned out to be a terrible choice for me. Um, But I hammered away at it like a fool, fool, kind of like Sisyphus uh, in a way, uh, rolling boulders, getting nowhere um, for a good long time until I finally dropped out. Um, And at that point, I really felt like I needed to drop out because I was just done. And um, I spent some time working in a county jail and then i went off to europe and i stayed at the place this place in switzerland called Brie. Mm -hmm. and while i was there i was convinced i actually did need to go back and study philosophy formally not just figure stuff out on my own and so um a friend of mine who well really good friend of mine guy who had been my roommate through most of my time at college up to that point was going to the University of Arizona for graduate school. His grandparents lived out here, and um, he kind of jokingly said, like, well, you know, you're applying to schools. Why don't you just come out to the University of Arizona? We'll be roommates. Um, and the more I thought about that, the more that sounded actually like a really good idea, like the best of my options,
2: because mm-hmm.
1: um, it just it just made total sense. Why Why start out with, like, figuring out another roommate situation. I knew I loved this guy. He was one of my best friends and still is. Um, I'd had a terrible roommate in the dorms my first year. Like, why would I want to roll the dice on that again? So anyway, we we came out to Arizona and we knew uh, uh, a a girl who was on staff with Navigators at the university already and-
0: What's Navigators?
1: Oh yeah. Sorry, sometimes I throw out these Christian terms. Okay, yeah, so um, there are three major like evangelical Christian ministry organizations that operate on university campuses, especially in the United States, but really worldwide. Um, and one of them, besides Campus Crusade and InterVarsity Fellowship, is a group called Navigators.
2: Okay.
1: And yeah, so he and I had been somewhat involved with that group back where the other school that we had gone to and we got to be or at least i got to be really involved with them at the university of arizona through this girl but more importantly than the involvement with navigators is that she had already found this church and so she invited us we started going um, in the evenings because used to meet only in the evenings and we would go to these other churches in the morning which we were never impressed with and eventually we, we were thought to ourselves, like why why are we why are we getting we're not morning people. Why are we getting up in the morning to go to these churches that we don't really like? Like we felt like we needed to do our due diligence and like finding a good church. But the church that we just loved from the very start was the village. Um just this very small, goofy, weird church. Um and I just love it to death and, and, and have ever since. Um even though I went away for some time to go to graduate school in colorado Mm. the number one reason i'm back in tucson is is to be a part of this church and i've been back in tucson since 2012 so been a part of this church pretty solidly very solidly for eight years and then um, a couple years back when i was finishing up my undergrad degree and even i would consider myself still part of the church even while i was gone um couple of the guys from the church including one of the pastors was in my wedding. Oh yeah even while I wasn't here so yeah really deep in fact I bought a house uh, directly across the street from the guy who's in my wedding who's one of the founding pastors of the church besides Rod and I did that because it's the house across the street from him (laughs) Um, yeah like uh, it's a really big emphasis on, on close-knit community which is going to be really tough actually um, right now because we are forced apart or at least physically mm-hmm. by this coronavirus stuff um, and we're making big efforts to connect with people kind of like this i mean we're going to use every opportunity we can electronically to, to connect with each other yeah. phone calls uh text, Zoom videos, Facebook live streams. I mean, we're gonna try and break it out in every way we can.
0: Yeah, my wife works in a church and um this past Sunday they did um well they always do a live stream of their service similar to Paul does that at his church where he has like a well I don't know if he has a live stream, but he certainly records it and puts it on the on Facebook. My wife's church does do like a, a Facebook live real time while it's happening just kinda Set up in one of the pews, and just you know you can see the entire um, you can see, see the entire setup there, but this past Sunday, um, you know since they got away from the large gatherings, they just had um, three or four staff members that would rotate out, and it almost looked like a almost looked like a a, a, a set for um, like a, a talk show or something like that, like it wasn't set up. Just the layout, right? There was like this, right. this table that the three of them were sitting at and one was playing a guitar and one was delivering the sermon and the other one was, uh, did like a, a little children's time like they normally do um, in their tradition. And, but of course there were no children to come running up to the table. So it was more of like yeah, I know. a family interactive thing, but it, it was interesting because one of the things that they incorporated is they made it an interactive service. Um, since it was on Facebook live, people could, real time comment and they could have discussion or they could make comments on what the, what the sermon was. And it could be like an interactive, there was also like questions and answers. So I found that a really fascinating new opportunity that, that this limitation had created, you know, uh, a new thing had come out. And as far as I'm concerned, that, that was something that I've, um, hungered for and have hungered for for a long time out of churches is to be able to have kind of a a dialogue uh, with the presenter of what's being talked about. Like, you know, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. In particular, I watched the Jordan Peterson biblical series. And after he would give his lecture, then he would take questions from the audience, right? There would be probably at least a 30 minute to an hour um, question and answer session off of the lecture. And I would I would always talk to um, my wife in particular, and I would say, "Man, I think it would really be neat if you could have something like that following uh, a sermon or after the the church service or the liturgy is is over, is where people could all just sit around and discuss maybe the entire church service, but but have interaction with the with the leadership and and just talk through you know some of maybe the questions that they had or. Um. well I was about to say disagreements I'm not sure how well that would go but <laughs> maybe maybe it would go well I, d- I don't know um,
1: yeah yeah I mean it doesn't always go well yeah. I mean that's the honest truth it doesn't always go well but I think it's worth the risk mm-hmm. um, and in fact a lot of the disagreements even though they even whether they go well or not I mean they're they're in people's minds and hearts yeah. anyway Yeah. You know? um like covering it up or hiding it or just not giving a forum for it to be heard is ultimately not productive is ultimately not good so um this is one of the things what you're exactly what you're talking about is one of the things that brought me into the church and maybe the biggest thing honestly um mm. one thing that was that for a church of oh at the time they were probably like 60 people something like that like not not too big and maybe even smaller than that um and we didn't have our own building at the time that I first found the church um and there were already two pastors so that was a big deal to me mm-hmm. in the church setting that I grew up in it was very professionalized and you had pastors that had specific jobs with sp- specific responsibilities and like spheres and mm-hmm. like it was all very divvied up very like corporate professional siloed yeah 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 exactly and so there was always like there was clearly a main a main pastor right the main pastor who was doing the vast majority of the speaking and what i realized going to the village right off the bat is that there was at least two pastors that were going to constantly rotate in and out and then there were other people that got to have the the main speaker role from time to time already with a tiny group um And like you were talking about, like the question and answer, pushback, comments, questions was built into the liturgy of the worship service. It was just a part part of it. Um, We've gotten a little bit away from that since we've maybe unfortunately professionalized a little bit. Uh, We now have our own building. There are like closer to 200 members of the church, right? So sometimes it's just unwieldy to do the question and answer, but it's a very much a built into the part of what we expect out of when we gather. Right. So mm. after this sermon is given, then there's an opportunity for people to respond if there's time, right. Time permitting. Mm. Um, and we'll like walk a microphone around the room to people and they'll get to ask the questions or give their comments or, um, Voice or disagreement even right, so and then and then, when the sermon when the service sorry is over completely over um it extends in a way right into uh eating together, so our our evening service has always been the way it is, and we have dinner after the service is over, and it's we say after the service is over, but in a lot of ways, it's just a continuation, continuation. of the service. Like, yeah. Just like, yeah, exactly. Like like what you, what you said, like okay. it, it, wouldn't it be great if there's a way for people to stick around and then talk about what the sermon was or whatever, you know, whatever they want to talk about, but mm-hmm. it provides an easy, an easy place, an easy uh, opening for people to then talk about whatever was said or done during the service, including disagreements. Mm -hmm. and we get to sit down and do that while we're eating dinner um and then when we added a a morning service eventually i think that was last year or the year before really recently um we do the same thing but it's lunch so after the late morning service then lunch lunch lunches uh served Mm -hmm. and it's just fantastic like was always something that i saw exactly what you were saying you're hungry for right i was like this is it this is great like This is not putting the pastor on a, on a, it makes, it makes the pastor really accessible. Mm -hmm. So you have this opportunity to to interact with the pastor. There's more than one pastor. So no one pastor is like the idolized figure who's got all the answers. Um, I'm not saying that our pastors aren't smart or that they're like untruthful or anything like that. But, but I mean, they are human beings um and even though they're maybe wiser um have more perspective done more study on a particular thing than the rest of us um they they still from time to time get things a little bit off and and we as a congregation have a a chance to or or even if they'll say something maybe just that doesn't it doesn't hit us quite the way that they intend when when it first comes out and then it gives us a chance to um have that clarified. So I mean, yeah, it's 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 just been endlessly awesome and, and just really, really good.
0: Uh I uh I'm a lurker on CRC voices and so I see how whimsical and how smart Rod is and uh yeah, he, wise he is. <laughs> and just being able to read how he interacts, I'm sure he would he would deflect all of those compliments about him. <laughs>
1: Oh, for sure. Got Oh man. Did you watch the three of the, the Dutch guys on their little <laughs> journey? I mean, they're hilarious. Hilarious. I got the opportunity to go. There's a, there's a mountain really close to Tucson.
0: I saw uh, your picture of the three of them. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: So I got the opportunity to like get, go in a Rod's SUV uh, uh-huh. up the mountain with them for a good couple hours. And yeah, it was, it was hilarious observing the three of them. Um, i sure. <laughs> Just this way, a guy I knew said, <clears throat> I'm convinced that some people, you're familiar with the love language theory? Yeah. Yeah. That sarcasm yeah. is one of the love cat languages, you know, uh, for guys, especially, you know, like giving each other crap is like right. <laughs> like the way that you show affection. And, and it's totally true with this group of people. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a Dutch thing, but it seems to be.
0: Oh. <laughs> Well, then the people I hang out with are are Dutch too. Not really, but in that way of of acting, if that is a Dutch thing.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Uh, On top of it, they're all really tall, with the exception of Job. Job's Job's short for a Dutch guy. (laughs) But yeah, that's actually a scientifically established fact that Dutch people tend to be really tall.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's funny seeing that picture of um, Paul with Jordan Peterson. He's kind of Towering above well, I don't know how much he's towering above him, but then I know Rod like towers above um Paul. So in the pictures that I've seen. It's it's kind of a
1: close call. I think Rod's also got some, some weight on Paul. Um <laughs> Yeah. Makes him look well, taller. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean he's just big. He's a really big guy. Very uh-huh. big guy. Yeah. I think he's like something like six 8 six, eight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe uh yeah man you would not want to mess with him on the basketball court
0: (laughs) i would try to stand outside and and test my luck with how many shots i could hit from far away
1: (laughs) yeah yeah just exactly don't don't go within (laughs) don't go within the three-point circle ever yeah
0: yeah i'm i'm six four or six five so typically i don't have trouble when i've played basketball with most people but then i'd run into somebody like rod and i'd be like i can't I can't get a rebound, I can't really do anything. So I'm just going to wander out here and I'm going to try to find the open person and maybe I'll take a shot every now and then.
1: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you sent that picture of you next to John Foreman. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, Luke was there as well. Luke, who is frequently like, the main the main voice on on these videos. Um, he and he's he a big is quite on the prolific
0: on these videos.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, he's got some interesting stuff to say. I watched uh, at least one of them with you and Luke, and I think Sam mm-hmm. on on Rhett and Link and some other related stuff. And and I, I thought you guys had some really cool stuff to say. So you know, I mean, there's a reason why he's featured because he's got interesting things to share. Yeah. um right. But yeah, you are towering over like you have like it's you're almost double the size it looks like of like john foreman who's a tiny little guy
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that was a that was a fun time that was um that was a birthday present that um my family gave me and my kids uh to go see them it was about a two-hour drive away because they hadn't they weren't coming through dallas at the time and i live pretty close to dallas um And so we had to drive for about two hours, but then um, we got VIP uh, tickets. So it meant we got to do a meet and greet with the entire band before the show and get our pictures taken with them. And I didn't post a picture of us with the entire band because I couldn't find it whenever I was just trying to throw that up there on Discord. But um, what they do from time to time, at least what uh, the frontman John Foreman does from time to time is after the concert, he'll do a little impromptu after show. Um, And usually it's like just an an acoustic set where he'll sit there and he'll play. Um, In that particular show, he was really exhausted, but they still came out um, and just met with the crowd that was waiting for them and would talk to them. And what I found fascinating about them is, you know, sometimes people in that position, particularly performers, I can certainly understand it, after you have done an entire show... Um, you are pretty exhausted. And, you know, the last thing that you want to do is go meet and greet with people. You know, you just want to go and you want to rest. And, you know, they, they ride in tour buses and they probably just want to get on to the, they want to get some rest, I'm sure, because it's, it's getting late into the evening. And what I found fascinating about the band members um, is they just hung out and talked to the crowd until the crowd went away they were there and available to talk to anyone that wanted to spend time with them and talk to them and ask them questions and get their pictures taken with them and ask them to sign stuff. And there were no handlers. There was no, okay, that's enough. You know, you've talked to him enough or anything like that. They were just there and available and there are uh, John and Tim um Tim plays the bass in the band and John is uh lead guitar and lead vocal well not probably not lead guitar but certainly lead vocal um they're preacher's kids uh their dad still pastors a church um outside of well someplace near San Diego I can't remember the name of the city I always get it wrong when I try to say it In Encinitas is it Encinitas maybe I-, I can't remember I've actually even visited that church before <laughs> um oh really
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah. because we were on a switchfoot pilgrimage or you were other reasons?
0: We um we were on a San Diego Comic Con pilgrimage and Ah, there we go. Okay, a Marvel I asked, pilgrimage. I asked my now wife, um, who was my girlfriend at the time, you know, it's can we go to the, the church? We're not gonna be that far away, you know. Can we <laughs> make a trip, you because know, I was a super fanboy, more even so of their dad than them. Um just because Oh really? Wow! I found him I started you know mainlining all of his online sermons and just listening to everything that he had to say and just really really helpful uh for me um at the time and in my uh journey um so it was good to get to listen to him and then finally I went to the church and it ended up being on a weekend when he wasn't in town so I didn't get to meet uh their dad but I have I have briefly interacted with him online you know we've Uh, We've sent a couple of messages back and forth, just mainly for me to, you know, tell him thanks and what I appreciate about the work that he does. Um, But yeah, what I was going to say is, I think uh, his sons—they—they absolutely see what they're doing as, um, to use church language, as a ministry, Um, and they just—they just see that as a part of what they're there to do. You know, um, is to be there for people and to help people in in any way that they can who want to meet them and want to talk to them and want to um, thank them for what their what their music has done you know there's so many people that that talk about their music and um, how it's helped them through a lot of difficult periods in their life um, I, don't know, I one of the things that I really enjoyed about listening to all of their dad's sermons is he, in his sermons, overtly and covertly, mostly covertly, but sometimes overtly, draws out the meanings in a lot of their songs um, that were just hidden to me before. I was just, you know, very Mr. Magoo oblivious towards whatever I would (laughs) listen to the songs. And then when he would go through his sermons, you know, he would would mention things. And I'd be like, wait a second, that's in this song that they do. and there's one in particular that's not technically a switchfoot song. It's one of John Foreman's solo songs that uh, their dad drew out in one of his sermons. And it's, it's a song called Revenge. And I'll link to it in the comments if we end up posting this. And I'll certainly send it to you if you, you may be familiar with it.
1: It's called I didn't really get into John's uh, solo stuff, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 have, I probably have heard it at least once.
0: Yeah, I would I would recommend his solo stuff. If you ha- if you like Switchfoot, you'll you'll probably like those songs too. They're a little bit different, but some of them are are really good. They're all good, but some of them are just really fantastic. Um, but he has a song called Revenge, and it's essentially sung in the voice of the thief on the cross who accepts Jesus before he dies. And um, it's just, it's, it's poetry. And if you just listen to the song, you wouldn't necessarily know that. So I've kind of given it away, but as you start listening to it, you're just like, oh, that's what this is. You know, I had heard the song several times. And then when his dad finally explained it, I was like, what, I've got to go look up those lyrics and listen to that song again. I had no clue that that's what that song was about. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I enjoy Switchfoot quite a bit on uh, multiple levels
1: yeah i i mean <clears throat> you can find a lot of this song meeting stuff now like within a few keystrokes online yeah um yeah. but when you and i probably were first getting into switchfoot i mean you just had to put your headphones on and listen <laughs> to the album you know at least seven times and then puzzle it over for hours mm-hmm. and you know, talk to your sister you know you you listen to this you know what do you think this means and <laughs> and and, you know, and that's what I would do because I mean yeah the internet was I guess there but it, it wasn't it wasn't the kind of thing that it is now uh, no. with lots of stuff just easily you know, I mean there was barely even song lyrics posted and nowadays I mean right. like 50 sites if you google song lyrics they're all trying to spam, spam you with advertisements <laughs> as, as soon as you land uh, but um, yeah I mean it was a different world and and I think that's one of the big reasons I got so into them is that you had, if you wanted to get deep into the lyrics for any band, not just for Switchfoot, but um, you had to, you had to do that. Like you had Mm -hmm. to really go dive deep. And I think for a lot of kids growing up today, even though music Mm -hmm. is extremely important to them, um, because there's not as much of a necessity to do what you and I had to do. I don't know if they get quite as deep into albums or artists. Um, or even individual songs, because yeah. there's so much out there, and it's very easy to just click on to the next song, or even have it autoplay. I mean, you've got so many things that will just tell you what you probably like yeah. as you go. And 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 it, in a way, it's a shame. I don't know if I've really developed the same kind of uh, depth with very many bands anymore, because of because of the way the world is now. Mm-hmm. Um and also just as I've gotten older, um my relationship with music has been different. I mean, part of what you were saying with switchfoot, I mean, is that I was going through the, through some really rough times mentally, you know, just mm-hmm. struggling with depression, struggling with being an adolescent, struggling with not fitting in with my peers, or at least that's what my internal impression was. Um, struggling with doubt, right? Like I had all these things, um, and I don't mean to say that I have no struggles with those anymore, but I'm just in a more stable place. And so, um, and I have like good close friends, like people um, that I I can connect with more than needing to retreat into music mm-hmm. to do it. And it's not that I ne once again, it's not that I never use music. I mean, I I, I thought it was fantastic listening to John Foreman this week you know, post a song a day, which is what we, which is what, although I think he may have missed yesterday unless I missed it.
0: Maybe so. I I think he's had four at this point.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, four out of five is not bad. I mean, (laughs) it's a lot better than any uh, habits that I start to form (laughs) 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 on the, on the first week, four out of five is really good. Uh, But I guess what I'm saying is the intensity of my engagement has fallen off as I've gotten older and that may be just something to do with age. It may have something to do with where I am in life now. Mm -hmm. Um, But as soon as you like pop me in to it, then a lot of that comes rushing back, you know, throw me into a switchfoot concert and, you know, I'll be singing until I can't don't have a voice anymore. Yeah. Um, Right. Which I do as often as I can really, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) like, I, I rarely drive the two hours like you did that one time anymore, yeah. but I make a point to go see them if, if, if they're in town. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for a long time I did see when I was living up in Boulder, Colorado, I, I, I think I saw switchfoot. Must've been every time they came out to the Denver Boulder area for a good five years. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, even one time there was a guy, um, I was running low on money and I was a little bit worried about my bank account and a friend of mine who was also a rabid Switchfoot fan is like I'll I'll spot you the money man you can still go to the show and i was like really that's so awesome like that's awesome how would you do that he, and he said I remember his his reaction his his statement was I was like why would you why would you do that for me and he says well it, it, it's Switchfoot. it's Switch <laughs>
0: obviously so, right right no
1: like yeah exactly like that explained it. it yeah um so i mean i've i've definitely been really into switchfoot uh but i i'm confessing my my drop in i don't know i'm just a an older an older colder person i guess well not colder but anyway maybe a little more circumspect mm-hmm. um,
0: yeah Yeah, I think perhaps maybe it is something with age. I remember um, whenever I was a kid, I remember I knew all the songs, all the artists, you know, and and all that we had available was what was on the radio. That was about all that there was back then. Um, You know, I'm in my mid, approaching late 40s, um, well, mid 40s technically, but it'll be there before I know Uh, So, you know, all we had was the radio. There was no internet. We had the radio, we had TV, but for music, it was just all on the radio. And so I remember I knew all the bands, I knew all the songs. Um, and I just, it confounded me that older people, particularly my teachers, mm,
1: we may seen, have lost each other for a moment here. Oh, let's see if we can get it to refresh. Okay, we went through a little time delay.
0: Yeah, it said my internet connection is unstable. Um, but now,
1: okay.
0: I don't know what the last thing you heard was.
1: Uh, something talking about you being in your mid 40s. Uh, and then and then it got garbled. So, so um, I remember
0: I remember yeah. as a, as a kid, all we had was the radio for music okay, right. and, you know, like record stores and stuff like that. And there was MTV back then. So you could watch videos. Oh yeah.
1: Oh gosh. Yeah. Talking about pouring your life into you know, different things, right? Like yeah. listening to the album over and over and over again until your you know, you're the laser on your CD player gave out. Um, sure. Yeah. 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 But MTV, yeah. Music on MTV. Oh man. Yeah, Yeah, rushing home from school to be like you (laughs) know
0: what's going to be on trl today right right? Mm -hmm. well i just remember you know older people um, particularly some of my teachers they they didn't seem familiar at all with the latest music or anything that was going on and i remember as a kid saying i'm never gonna let that happen to me i'm always gonna know (laughs) what's going on and yeah i think it probably is a function of of age and and priorities and, you know, to use a, a Vervakian term, saliencies. <laughs> and yeah, and so, um, yeah, now with my kids, I'm just like, so who is this person again? <laughs> they'll, they'll talk about someone like it's, it's someone that's everybody, that everybody has known for, you know, years and years and years. And I go look it up and I'll see that, okay, this person's song just came out a month ago. Who, <laughs> how, did, how does anybody know who this person is? Um, right. so right. I think it, I think it is a, an age thing. Um, but yeah, uh, one of the things about, uh, Switchfoot that I was going to say is I was, I was first introduced <coughs> to Switchfoot by my, um, <coughs> excuse me, by my sister-in-law who was in high school at the time, but was living with us. Um, she was watching some show. This was like the early, Ots maybe, oh uh, two, oh three, and there was some some TV show that was on prime time. It was called Pepsi Smash. Like they were the ones who yes, he was the one who was um, how, what's the sponsoring it and Switchfoot, the Crazy in Love cover. Say again, the Crazy in Love cover was that the? No, uh, it was their you know it was their first hit song that put them in the mainstream okay. meant to live and they that was the first time was it the first time i'd ever heard it it may have been uh, i might have heard it on the radio too but i, I this i distinctly remember this is the first time that i actually became aware of switchfoot as a band and they played that song you know i was just like yeah
1: yeah and that was a new sound for them that was uh I remember hearing that that year somebody shared it with me and there's like this new Switchwood song is going to blow you away. And, mm-hmm. and gosh, what was the sound? What was the software that everybody was using at the time? It'll come to me, but anyway, you know, you could have this plug-in where it would do all the like um, graphics in response to the sound waves oh. that would that would come on my screen. And I one of the associations I have with that song is the kind of swirling um, you know, visual stimuli that was produced by the sound, uh-huh. by the algorithm, translating the sound and the visual. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was, I was, I was blown away just like <laughs> you were apparently seeing, seeing it, you know, kind of a live format um, on Pepsi, yes. Pepsi smash. Yeah. I they must've gone on to Pepsi smash more than once because, uh, or some kind of Pepsi, something or other.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause yeah, I have a different association with Pepsi and, and, uh, and Swishfoot, but yeah, keep they going. A,
0: they had done a cover of which song?
1: Uh, Crazy in Love by Beyonce. Oh, really? Right. The one that has not held up over time because uh, <laughs> one of the lyrics is, uh, you know, you got me wishing you'd page me right now. <laughs> it's a little right, isn't it? <laughs> Right, yeah, exactly. It's like, what? Page? Page you? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Yeah, I, I mean, you and I know, but like
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a it's there's an entire song. world out there. Yeah, that there's has another no song idea. from that period that is very uh dated, um, not by Switchfoot, but just from that era called Beepers. I encourage people to go look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I discourage well, <laughs> people from going to look that up now that I think about it.
1: <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, if you've ever watched Caddyshack, right? One of the main characters in the story is Doctor Beeper, right? Oh yeah. Which is a which is a gag that so many people have no idea what like. They just don't understand. I mean they probably have an inkling an inkling and have an because they never it 'cause they're they're kind of nascent cell phones in a lot of way, but uh,
0: uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. There was a such beeper,
1: a beeper. Why would it be called Dr. Beeper, right?
0: Right. Anyway. Yeah, there was such a there were so many um there was such a culture around pagers and beepers back then. Like, you know, you'd get paged and you'd People don't even know what we're talking about, <laughs> but you can't. You'd see, you'd see a phone number on there, and you're just like, I don't recognize this number. Um, <clears throat> and then other times you'd get it from somebody that you knew, and you're just like, what could they want? It, it can wait, you know? And there were little codes that you had too, where it's just like, if this is an emergency, you need to pretext it with 911 or put 911 after it, right? To tell me, this is really important. You've got to call me back right now. And uh, right. sure there were other things too, but I just, I do yeah. recall that one.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, what the, the Gwen Stefani, uh, no doubt song. Walking uh, in your spider web, spider webs, right. It's all about using caller ID on, the ID on a landline phone. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, it's still a catchy song, but if you listen to the lyrics, right. Like you're like, there's so many people that are not understanding what this <laughs> song is all about.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, in a similar way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, one another avenue of music for me was ska music, um, mm-hmm. which was going on parallel to my obsession with Switchfoot. But mm-hmm. Switchfoot continues. Unfortunately, in, in many ways, ska is, ska is only. <laughs> it's a novelty item at this moment. Similar uh, to Pagers. Still love it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Pagers pagers, and ska, I mean, they really do kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, caller yeah. ID.
0: I'm preferential to that version of uh, Gwen Stefani's art than her um, newer stuff. <laughs> well, now old stuff, but when she went solo, I was just like, "This is <clears throat> this isn't what I liked about Gwen Stefani." <laughs>
1: yeah, no, no, no doubt it was a great band, but I mean, her ah. superstardom just it, the band couldn't keep up with how big of a uh, a singular focus was on her. Yeah, uh, but I mean. I, yeah, you have to go back before that even. I mean, back before Tragic Kingdom to really find them as a true ska band.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's it's more new wave by the time it gets to Tragic Kingdom than it is ska. ska. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I it's kind of like it's weird calling it new wave in the late '90s, but that's yeah, what it was really. And yeah. and I, yeah, I, I love ska music and I still do. And and there were some great christian ska bands of the era and and i got really into those as well yeah i was see of them
0: i may be familiar
1: um so the orange county supertones um uh five iron frenzy I've heard of insiders mhm yeah uh the w's um and then there were just legions of copycat bands mm-hmm. uh or just small time bands that were around for, you know, a few months to a few years and they just, you know, maybe they went like on one national tour and, you know, in a 15 passenger van and then they were done, right? So, I I mean, another reason I got really big into music, apart from, well, I should say how I got into Switchfoot. Um, There was, there used to be these things called, cd samplers (laughs) um and if you would if you would go to a show or subscribe to like some subscription do you remember subscription service cd Mm -hmm. subscription services yeah and then they would send these things out um and there was this thing i think it was called the 199 amazing super sampler or something like that and it had all these different christian artists that were breaking out at the same time and switchfoot was on there and that was i think the biggest reason I got into Switchfoot is that I heard, I played that, that sequence of songs over and over and over again. And I I liked the Switchfoot songs that were were in there. I think one of them was Chem, Chem 6, is it Chem 6A?
0: I think. So that album, I think it's Legend of Chin, I believe. Mm -hmm.
1: The Legend of Chin, yeah.
0: Yeah, I see. I had, I wasn't exposed to Switchfoot prior to the Beautiful Letdown album. um, And so, Mm. Yeah, I ended up having to go back, but anyway, continue. <laughs> hey, it's 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 great old
1: stuff, and um, I, I later met a guy who's actually a country music star. Well, star is maybe an exaggeration, but he's a country musician, nationally touring, internationally touring, in fact. Okay, um, he yeah, has like it's weird. It's a weird thing. Music in the world today is just a weird thing. I guess it's kind of always been since like the '40s or '50s, where you could become big in another country. Yeah.
2: Right. So, the jo-
1: so the the joke is always yeah the joke is always <laughs> like we're really big and you know some random some random company uh, country right but like it's really and truly the case right like he's really big in Europe um because he's a country musician and that's like you know they don't have country musicians really right it's a novelty yeah, um, yeah exactly so uh, anyway he grew up like I don't know how close of friends he was with the F- Switchfoot guys but I mean he like palled around in that same, uh, crew or yeah. larger kind of group of guys. Um, and he's a pastor's kid too. So I'm, I'm wondering if he has links that I didn't even realize until talking to you today. I didn't realize they were pastor's kids and yeah. uh, I didn't know the ongoing nature of their father's church. And, and I bet they're still deeply connected to it and because they all live in San Diego. I mean, yeah. it's probably a big reason in hindsight, why their music is the way it is and why it connects to me so much is the emphasis on community that's just lurking in the background. It's not something that necessarily is front and center in their lyrics, but certainly if you go to their shows and you interact with them and the more you get to know about them, it's, it's, it's there all through everything. Um, But yeah, I met him in, in, uh, in college and he was talking about, you know, like palling around and you know, skateboarding or whatever and going to the switchfoot show and it was a it was a very like San Diego thing of that age group at that time. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And uh so that was really cool. But uh yeah, and the legend of Chin is like, you know, it's got like all these inside references and jokes um to those right, to those people. Uh Um at that at that in that place at that time. And um so it's it's hard for like a more mainstream audience to to really get into it. But I got into it anyway, because it was like all I had, right? I had this CD sampler and maybe like three other albums in uh-huh. my entire possession. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the other one was Underwater. It was like Chem 6A and Underwater. Um, and love those. Eventually got the Legend of Chin album. And, and I realized like in hindsight, I had been at this Christian music festival at a theme park. This used to be a thing back in the day. I don't know if they still do this anymore, um, but we went up to Magic Mountain. No, not no Great America. It's called Great America in San Jose. This theme park, and every so often they, you know, have the entire theme park turned into a Christian music festival for like a day or a night. And Switchfoot was at one of these, and I remember being there and really excited about the OC Supertones and going to their show and all these different ska bands and somebody said like you know switchfoot was playing here you know in this other stage and i was like yeah whatever um i look back i'm going think man i missed out It was back when they were still three piece right they, uh-huh. were, they didn't even have they didn't have, even have jerome yet and it, it would have been it was back in the the old old days. I could have I could have said you know I could have been one of those people that's like I knew them before.
0: <laughs> I knew them. When. Uh, but, <laughs> right, right,
1: right, right. You know, like being on the ground floor on it. Right, be all snobbish, <laughs> looking down your nose at all the you know people that came later on. But um, that just gives you an insight to like, like my priorities were definitely ska music at the time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You hit yeah, on the wrong horse, I guess. I <laughs> yeah, bet on the
1: right.
2: right.
0: <laughs> yeah, well I'm
1: I'm not a musician. So I mean I have I, I palled around with a bunch of people who were, and that's uh-huh. been kind of my, my journey still to this day is that I connect with a lot of musicians and I care about music. Um although I confess my care of music has kind of dwindled as I've gotten older, but um I I was with at that show, with a bunch of people who were in a ska band, they they were trying to do the Christian ska band thing, um, and they were looking up to these these different groups that were on stage, and and they're like, oh, this is amazing, right? These people are doing this thing or that, that thing, and we want to do that too, and um, and I've, I've had that kind of carry on. So that was one of the things that was going on in the background of my life uh, throughout high school. And then in college, I met some guys that eventually became a touring rock band in the kind of like emo post-punk style. Um, Or Power Pop would probably be a better, Power Pop sounds like such a cheesy, weird name for a genre. It sounds like it's trying too hard, but I mean, it's a a decent description of what they are, right? It's like kind of punk influenced pop music. and. Or like pop music with an edge, but still, but still um, accessible to a mainstream audience. Anyway, so they they formed a nationally touring rock band, and they still, from time to time, have kind of resurrected from the dead and put something out. Um, and a lot of them are still really deeply involved in making making music to this day. And that was it was it was a weird thing for me to be integrated into this indie rock scene, um, where I would show up you know, just dressed in jeans and a T shirt, you know, some some uh <clears throat> sneakers or whatever and I have no tattoos, no piercings. Um <laughs> you know, like I I wouldn't dress up for shows. Um, uh, you know, I wouldn't get my seamster gear on and I I did you know, a lot of these people that would be at these shows, I mean they were seamsters, you know, in every way. Like they that's how they dressed on a regular basis or they would but they would really go all out for these shows and um their entire life revolved around the next show that was happening. Um and I liked the music and I was really into it, but like I was just I don't know, I was just a square white guy and I've been a square white guy my whole life. You know, so uh but I liked the music and I palled around with these guys and um and I, I have some insight on the like whole national touring thing, which is what, when you were talking about what Switchfoot does on their tours, is, it just makes it, you know, 50 times more amazing to know how hard that is to do. Yeah, I mean, It's just really rough.
0: Well, I know um, like they've, I only know this from like watching their documentaries and just paying as much attention to any kind of info about them that comes out, you know, just being a, a fan type, a stalker type fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, John is a very like social person and so I can only imagine how difficult you know this time of of lockdown is for him like he just he loves being around people and spending time with people is where he draws his energy from so I think he's just a a huge uh, extrovert and so yeah as I was saying it's probably really tough for him right now yeah
1: yeah well I mean that helps being as big of an extrovert as apparently he is. Mm -hmm. I think my video is lagging behind my own voice a little bit, but um, I'll try not to look at myself and then it won't throw me off as much. Um, Yeah. But when you're a part of a band, like, it's almost like being in a, (laughs) well, nowadays, like, because of the way the weird culture is going, you know, a, a polyamorous relationship is, like, out there in the, But anyway, it's like being married to like five people or Mm six, however many. And, and, you know, so some people are extroverted and some people aren't in the band. And it's, it's this really weird dynamic that as a touring band, you have to, you have to work through. Mm -hmm. And it's it's all the complexity that you might imagine being part of a family or being in a marriage or, you know, trying to be in a really close-knit church community. Um, it's got all the depth, but it also has all of the potential strife.
0: Hmm. Well, yeah, you hear about bands breaking up so often, right? Like, it's this, this thing that Switchfoot has done, you know, I know they've had a couple different members here and there, but they've been able to stay together for, what? better part of two decades now maybe even longer um and that's not normal that's not common
1: <laughs> right right and so we were talking about Gwen Stefani earlier i mean there's a reason why it's easier at a certain point um for a solo artist to make it work because then it's only the sonar, solo artist and his or her needs that get catered to and everybody else is just a replaceable um, yeah. option and you just fill out the band with whatever kind of mercenary musicians and i don't mean to downplay like a lot of these musicians are really really good musicians but like um they're not like a part of the band right i mean they're merely the band for this show or the band for this leg of the tour or a band for a tour right and then or a band for this album right um and it all becomes really really optional. but it's really hard to make a band work relationally Mm -hmm. over a long period of time. And in yeah, it is a Testament to how awesome Switchfoot is that every member that they've added in, um, they've never kicked them out basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, they added Jerome and ever since Jerome came on board, he's just been a permanent member ever since. And then they added Drew Shirley, who I think for a time was one of these I mean, they did have the mercenary lead guitar player because at some point John Foreman decided he wanted to be able to like you know hold the microphone with both hands and you know, <laughs> walk walk around and yeah. jump off of speakers and crowd surf and all that kind of fun stuff and much harder to do if you have a <laughs> musical instrument responsibility yeah, <laughs> so, sure. so they wanted to offload you know the the guitar playing to somebody else and and I don't know who who all they may have had in the the lead guitar. Uh, position for a while but um you know when they eventually settled on Drew Shirley like he's been there ever since um, mm-hmm. and they they clearly love the guy I mean it, yeah so it's, it's it's a big deal I mean even even the people that were the original members of a band like you when you start a band as young as they did um, you don't really know how life is gonna go and how that's gonna work and but they've they've been really committed to each other and I think it a lot of it helps that they're all living in the same place because um, it's it's just tough when you're a nationally touring band and you're just so floaty like you mm-hmm. just don't have a you don't really have a base of operations like you don't have this place where you really call home yeah um, and yeah and it's a it's funny because I, I noticed most of the songs that my friends in this nationally touring band would like the songs would be about being on tour basically and not having a home and then like a few <laughs> of the songs would be like one of their most favorite song uh one of their songs from one album is just called home and it's all about like daring to settle down um <laughs> yeah and that's basically what ended the band at a certain point it's like they met people that would become their wives and then they all spread out to these different places where their wives lived um and that was basically the end of the band
0: hmm. yeah that's what's interesting Which, yeah. they all live in the same place for for switchfoot they're you know they have kids and they have wives and they're all like in the same san diego area
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it, it's it's just it's fun it's it's ironic that we're talking you know over the internet over distance right we're hundreds of miles away from each other we're having this con, con- uh, conversation and the Discord and, you know, Rando's United channel and Paul's Jordan Peterson. I mean, it's connecting people in all mm. of these funny, uh, physically displaced ways, though. Yeah. And, and it's also we're in the midst of this coronavirus quarantine that is probably going to only intensify in the next couple of weeks um, and may linger for quite a while. Yeah. Um, I hope I'm not alarming anybody, but I mean, I, I, it's going to be several months of, something like this maybe not this level intensity but
2: yeah
1: it's gonna be it's gonna be a while and i'm saying all this and i'm enjoying this to the you know i'm loving it but um it's it's super important i just i it's one of my core beliefs is that the physical physicality geography right um meeting people face to face in person Mm -hmm. is just so huge to life um it makes it makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's why I've made some of the big life choices that I have made. And, and I think it explains once you have that belief for me, it it allows me explains why other things don't
0: work out. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, the way that you've explained that the village does church, I mean, that just sounds like, something that I've been longing for. So if you guys could just do me a favor and move it over here to- <laughs> <laughs> there,
1: You know, what's funny is that for a very long, long time, and, and still, it still is a little bit to me right now, I'm starting to appreciate the desert for the first time in 20 years, but I hate the desert. I, I really, ha- I don't like Tucson very much in a lot of ways. It's not my ideal climate. It's not my ideal city. Um, I loved being the two places that I lived before this were San Luis Obispo, California, Mm -hmm. which is endlessly beautiful, gorgeous Mm -hmm. place, like really close to the coast. It's like, you know, it's everybody's dream location in a lot of ways. And then the other place I lived was Boulder, Colorado. And it's a, you know, the other version of everybody's dream location, right? It's on the slopes of these beautiful mountains that get covered in, uh, you know, champagne uh, snow is what they call it. Right. Um, and cause it's all light and fluffy and perfect to ski in and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's this, some people started to call it in grad school, this snow globe of a town, right. Uh-huh. It's just so perfect that you could put it inside of a snow globe. Right. Um, and right. And then I'm like, okay, so, but where do I, where am I going to live? Well, I mean, one, one gut reaction is, well, it can't be Tucson cause I hate that place. Right. Um, but when I think about the people and the church, then it's a whole different matter. Mm. So, I, you know, I'm I'm extremely committed to being here and being a part of this church. And, and it's funny, you say like what you know, did the church move to Boulder. Like, do you always say this? Why can't you guys just like move up the Boulder, or maybe we could like go start the church in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is a city that's kind of it's like the third major city in in Arizona, and it's it's like a lot like Boulder. Uh-huh. Um, And but but we're here and and we're committed to being here and it's it's actually one of the things that we've grown and developed as a church from when I first came here. There was a lot of people my age in college, where my stage of life and the Eric, our pastor, challenged us very particularly on on very many occasions to make a commitment to to be here and preached out of um isaiah and jeremiah about uh the israelites you know settling down and basically daring to put down roots in a place where they were even exiles and talks about them you know marrying and having kids and planting gardens right and then being committed to the good of their city Mm -hmm. and um even while
2: even while they're in
1: exile in babylon and we've done that We've literally planted gardens uh at this point we have a bunch of produce that really needs to be picked at our church um uh and there are way too many kids and <laughs> we took him maybe a little too seriously uh, and yeah but i mean it's 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 amazing to look back on these people um and and it really is amazing how we have stuck together as some of us have left like myself, and then come back um and yeah if the church moves like we'll we'll all move i think if it's not going to happen but if if say there was some really good reason why we needed to move to dallas Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because jeff's there we need to go right like (laughs) (laughs) we need to go get jeff right Um, (laughs) yeah well you know sillier things have been done so uh yeah we would all move like I have no doubt that if there was some reason why our entire church needed to pick up and move, we would all do it. Um, or a lot of us anyway, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, we're that committed to each other. Um, and you know, there's a lot of pitfalls to that. I don't, I don't mean to put us up on this giant pedestal, but I, I think it's the right way to do
3: things despite the difficulty of it. Yeah it sounds fascinating it really does
1: yeah and i've learned this over time i mean i've been drawn to it because of my struggles with depression so in order to get outside of my own head i have to go to a place or be part of a group of people that's going to uh, pull me out of myself
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and so going to Labrie was a big change Um, there's been a few people that have been associated with Labrie that have been kind of talking to Paul Vanderclay here and there. Um, Yeah. Burn. Actually, I, I met Burn while I was there. He was a guest speaker um, and like visiting scholar or whatever (laughs) for a time while I was there. So yeah, I met, I met Burn, hung out with him, slipped and fell in the snow and ice with him in Switzerland (laughs) and the Alps. Um, so, yeah, I, I know Byrne kind of well. I haven't kept in touch, but I mean, I, um, and, but yeah, I, I, I need, I've been meaning to talk with Burn. I'd like to talk with Byrne um, at some point about how he thinks of community and what he thinks Labrie is all about, because for a lot of people, Labrie has been kind of the intellectual output that they've given to the world, the books that they've published, the ideas that they put forward. Um, and it is that what I found there is that it's the Christian community that's going on. Um, So for a lot of people that go to, to Labrie, it's, it's like, I think I used this phrase not too long ago in another conversation, but it's like the speed bump on the way out of the parking lot of faith. Uh
2: Does
1: that make sense? Like, it's like the last ditch effort to maybe stay in faith, like stay in Christianity um and so people go there because they just like well the church has been terrible right i've got all these doubts and usually those two things are really closely connected for people right It's, Mm -hmm. it's not just that i have these intellectual doubts that come out of nowhere but i have these intellectual doubts on on top of or because of the terrible way that i see people in the church behaving or the way that they the church is as a structure or something like that and um you go to labrie and you live with a bunch of people who are not necessarily better people because a lot of you know like the majority of people are going to be all these people right that are hurt and moody and doubting um and a lot of times kind of lashing out um so the majority of the people are there but the ethos of the place just kind of captures you um or at least it did for me i mean some people they They see something going on, but it's not enough to keep them, you know, it's only a speed bump out the, you know, by the time you get there, you're, you have lots of reasons to be headed out of faith um, for, for many people. But um, I realized what was going on there and I was like, oh man, this is, this is what's needed, right? You need Community living is the way to go. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I was primed for that, looking for that when I arrived in Tucson and that's why the village just made sense to me. Um, and I've been looking for those kind of, kind of opportunities, both to be part of groups like that, um, ever since, and also to create them and my buying the house across the street from Eric is a, well, I was about to say small, but it's not really small. I mean, it's small and big at the same time. It's just me making this decision with my, you know, with my wife and Eric, I guess likes it, but you know, he didn't really have any choice. So I, I had the money to buy it, you know? <laughs> Right. <laughs> I had the bank approval to buy the house, right? You can't stop me. Um, can uh, <laughs> Right, right. But I mean, I was going to say it was small, but it is pretty big because I mean, you have to, you know, have a have a mortgage, right? Like a, a bank said, yeah, you're approved for this much, and you buy this house, like that's a big deal. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess I could sell the house, but you know, buying and selling houses is is a pretty big step. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's what I'm all about.
0: I was curious how, um, how did you find out about Labrie and what, what led you there?
1: Yeah. So, uh, basically stuff like this that you're involved with, honestly. I mean, like how do people hear about Paul Vanderclay? Um, well, I mean, there's a very clear online presence. Um, but I think Labrie has kind of always worked the same way. Um, So Labrie doesn't advertise at all. In fact, it's one of their core values. Their principles is that they they do not advertise. They don't pay to put their name out there. Um, But they do have a website. You can go find them, uh, labrie.org. But it's all word of mouth. So somebody goes and then they tell the other people when they get back about this place. And um, a friend of mine, had been studying computer engineering just like me and was miserable just like me. And he had gone to Labrie outside Boston. There's more than one location. A lot of people saw what was going on with the original Labrie and they're like, this is gold. (laughs) Let's do this um, (laughs) somewhere else. Um, And I totally understand that. Like that's still potentially a life project of mine is to start a Labrie. I don't know if it'll be, you know, officially Labrie, but i think the village is building towards um something like that eventually Uh, anyway so he came he came back and he was just transformed he was a new guy and he had purpose um, and focus with what he wanted to do with his life he was done with computer engineering but he decided um, i'm going to be a doctor and he went for that really confidently and 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 he saw what I was, I was going through and I was talking to him and he's like, you know, I think you should just go to LaBrie. <laughs> and and I, he convinced me, I had no idea what he was talking. I mean, I had only an inkling of an idea of what he was talking about mm-hmm. at this place, LaBrie, but it didn't, it didn't really matter to me. I just saw how he was and the effect it had on him. So I figured, I'd figure it out when I got there. Um, Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people do when they show up to agree. They don't really know what it is or um, what it'll be like. I mean, you can hear some things or even if people tell you, it's not quite clear what that means. Like if I told you, well, it's kind of like a study center and it's kind of like a commune and, but you should go. Right. You know, like, (laughs) right. Like it doesn't tell you much. I mean, it tells you some things. like there are, it's, it's true. Those are true statements, but like, you know, um it's it's different when you get there um or or maybe it's not different but i mean it's just like explaining it but the reason people get convinced is they know the person that went right I and mean, when i went and met uh, Bern was there the time i went like there were like five kids about my age um in the early 20s uh late teens and they were all there cuz burn told them to go um and that was it like they were like okay i'm sold And told me, so I'm going. Yeah.
0: When uh, when did it first start? I don't know a ton about it. The first that I ever heard about it was, um, I guess in somewhere in my early 20s, I started, I think it was right around the time that I started reading C.S. Lewis and looking at some different apologetics type stuff that I stumbled onto Francis Schaeffer because somebody recommended it. And I read... One of his books, and it just it didn't really grab me, so I never got into Francis Schaefer, but I knew I had heard tangentially then about Labrie, but I really didn't know a whole lot about it. So, did he start it, or was it around before Schaefer? No,
1: it was Schaefer's thing, um, and it grew really organically from just Schaefer as a person. Um, so, he didn't live exactly the same place in the Swiss Alps as as it breed now exists but uh, when it first got get going in in the way i'm about to tell the story but he was living somewhere nearby kind of in the it's like the eastern side of switzerland right around lake geneva absolutely gorgeously beautiful place Um, and he was living somewhere nearby and and he his daughters were starting to go off to college and they would bring back college friends and roommates to the house for like you know thanksgiving other holidays kind of thing mm-hmm. and um he was just really impressive to these friends of his daughters uh because they would ask him questions the kind of questions that we're interested in on the discord and with paul vanderclay and jordan peterson you know it was just a very wide-ranging meandering kind of thing like what do you think about this and what does this have to do with the gospel and you know what is meaningful what's purposeful um Um, what's worthwhile in life, right? And he would, he was a Christian minister and like a super conservative Christian minister, but he was just very open to having these discussions with people and not, you know, it's just very refreshing, I guess, in the time period. Um, But it still is today because I definitely experienced it. I think a lot of us definitely experience it when somebody doesn't tell you, oh, that's a dumb question, or like, you shouldn't be asking that, or, even if they don't say that because like having that kind of nonverbal attitude towards you, even um, when people don't do that, it's amazing. So he got this reputation for being comfortable with people asking questions that made other people uncomfortable um, and just talking with them and saying what he thought and then carrying on a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it eventually grew to this thing where like people would go seek him out and um, it wasn't like he decided I'm going to do this. It just like word got out and it eventually coincided with the whole Jesus people movement, like, you know, the Christianized version of the hippies. Mm-hmm. Um, and people heard about Francis Schaeffer and what he was up to. And just like I told you with like, just completely word of mouth, um, people went to Switzerland cause they wanted to hang out with Francis Schaefer who apparently wouldn't be scared of your question and <laughs> hang around with a bunch of people who were also likewise interested in stuff like that and mm-hmm. they just they had people sleeping on floors you know in do, in the dozens uh, you know just like their their houses in Switzerland and they would just have i don't know dozens of hippies just hanging out at the house um and that's that's how it got started and you know it's a lot more formalized today but that's the roots of it and it stays pretty true to those roots you know people mm. come from all over um i mean it's still it's english speaking so it's not there have been labris that have kind of branched out in different places in europe but in a lot of ways it's it's still a pretty uh, expatriate phenomenon like american expat expatriate although you know anywhere in the english-speaking world i met people from australia and new zealand england um the netherlands because apparently every dutch person nowadays speaks english really well um Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) uh you know the united states canada south africa um, but there's there's some people here and there from you know germany and south korea and a few other places yeah, and, and that, that's how it got started. I mean, and then all along, Schaefer's writing books like you heard of and maybe picked up for a moment. I mean, I know you're a huge C.S. Lewis fan. And I, if I had to pick one, it's not even a close contest. I mean, C.S. Lewis is definitely the better writer, <laughs> the probably the more precise and astute thinker. But um, I mean, there's still a lot that's valuable to Schaefer's writing and ideas. It's not nearly as engaging um as lewis is but i think what's really cool about what schaefer did is really this i mean what we've been talking about um mm-hmm. it really isn't the publishing or the output or as good as that is um you know lewis doesn't have a lewisian you know center right where you know where people and 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 this is i think one thing that paul van has been trying to hammer you know, again and again and again, it's like, okay, so you got this Jordan Peterson phenomenon. I mean Jordan Peterson is probably as profound as Lewis. Um but is he gonna be like Lewis or is he gonna be is he gonna leave a legacy like Schaefer did um mm-hmm. as far as an institution, right? right. As on, as as far as an ongoing uh group of people, right? I mean to make another comparison, like it's kind of between um Freud and Young. Right like so Freud put out some fantastic ideas, or at least well, I don't know if the call fantastic might be the might not be the right word, but extremely influential, important ideas, mm-hmm. but Jung, like had a movement right he had a group of people who like they're still youngians to this day, right that um, they have a way of life right that they're trying to uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: continue on so yeah i i mean i, I love that pop- Potentially because I I can never get around to actually publishing anything publishing anything myself like mm-hmm. it's <laughs> I have this giant block that I'll have to well hopefully eventually figure out about why I can't do that but that's how I ended up with a master's and not a PhD in philosophy it's not couldn't couldn't keep going down that road um, but hopefully I can be a lesser thinker who. <laughs> <laughs> helps build the institution behind the scenes.
0: Well, if you're a lesser thinker, then I'm the least of these. No, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, I mean, look, I I,
1: I recognize I'm plenty smart, but I'm I'm not going to have the kind of output that a lot of my uh, peers in graduate school are doing. I mean, they're going to become famous superstars of academia, and mm-hmm. that's great. I mean, that's fantastic. Um, I haven't I don't really want that anyway. Mm. Um but uh yeah, I'm I'm happy being a lesser <laughs> a lesser thinker. <laughs> it's better for me this way. It really is. Um it's not just a consolation prize. It it
3: is
0: actually something that I think is worthwhile. Mm. So we talked about CS Lewis a little bit and we had made that connection too on the Discord. Um had a question in mind, and I just lost it. Uh, I was going to ask. I think um, what I guess what was your first uh, exposure to Lewis, and uh, um, what it what is it about Lewis that you like most? Oh
3: gosh, man. Um...
1: The guy's gotta be one of the best writers of the 20th century. I, I don't think that's, I think, I think I'm confident in saying that. Um, he has an elegance with language that surpasses almost every other writer of the 1900s. I mean, he's just that good. Um, and he's got the depth of intellect to make that really interesting. Right? So he's not simply just telling stories, but he's conveying ideas through story um and some people find him a little bit too on the nose um with the ideas right or the the stories slightly disguised right um ideas slightly disguised as stories but um I think that's kind of where my taste in art goes like I don't like art that's too too subtle. <laughs> I like I, I like art that kind of, you know, hits me in the head. Uh smacks me in the face a little bit, right? I mean I want something that's going to like I don't want something that I'm going to have to be like now really what does it mean, right? Um so so I think he does that really well. And and even if you think something's too on the nose, I've noticed that even people that react kind of violently negatively to Lewis um they're nevertheless still captivated by the story even years later. So I have tons of friends that grew up with in this is a very similar way that I'm about to describe: um, reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, having it be a bedtime story, read f- from my parents, you know, watching the BBC, you know, low production value versions yes. of the of the uh, of the Chronicles of Narnia stories. Well, on, you know, uh, it must have been some youth group trip or something or other, where we had one of those vans that had a, uh, uh, you know, like one of those miniature buses that had like a TV with a VHS player, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I I remember things like that. And so, I mean, I was steeped in the Chronicles of Narnia growing up, um, growing up in the church and in, in the family that I did. And... I have tons of friends who likewise did the same, who became some pretty angry atheists later in life, but they nevertheless were just still so captivated by everything that Lewis had put out. Um, Just loved it. Good friend of mine who was one of the more angry atheists I think I've met in my entire life. Um, Just would love talking to me about C.S. Lewis's uh space trilogy and just like telling me about stuff that i even hadn't read about lewis oh well wait till you read this thing or oh man this is so good right um so it stuck with them and that's really impressive right that you could have people that are diametrically opposed to you say this is fantastic right this is this is high art right and this is great storytelling um this is like the best presentation of these ideas, even though I don't agree with them, right? This is like, this is the best presentation of them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, I think that's my my story with Lewis. I, I didn't get, I don't think I'm nearly as deep of a Lewis fan. I think you've got me beat on Lewis and Switchfoot at this point, <laughs> but um, I did want to compare.
0: Well, since it's a competition, I'm glad I won. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always a competition.
2: Uh, <laughs>
3: Did I lose you? You're frozen
2: you're frozen up on my screen.
3: Oh, I think my internet.
1: Well, I'll be back in a minute cuz it's good on my side.
2: Okay.
3: So yeah. I'm
1: still here. Yeah. I can see you again now. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's 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 been constant for me.
0: So. Okay. Good. I was looking for something here cuz I I came across a, um, I came across a, a, C- a little C.S. Lewis poem that I had never heard before. I posted it on the Discord, but i let's see if I can find it. Hang on just a second.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. I'll see if I can pull it up if you give me the name.
2: Let's see.
3: I don't even
1: know what the name of it
0: is. Yeah, it was brought to my attention. I was listening to an interview and somebody paraphrased it. And I'm like, I've never heard that before. Let me go see if I can find that. So here, it yeah. is. I don't know the name of it or where it's published, but it goes like this. Master, they say that when I seem oh, let me back up. It's about prayer. And it was, okay. when I heard it talked about, it, it was delivered in the context of, well, what do you say to people who say that prayer is dumb? You're not really talking to anybody. You're just talking to yourself. It's all, you know, yes. fake. So they reference this poem, and Lewis says, Master, they say that when I seem to be in speech with you, since you make no replies, it's all a dream, one talker aping two. They are half right, but not as they imagine. Rather, I, seeking myself the things I meant to say, and lo, the wells are dry. Then seeing me empty you forsake the listeners roll in through my dead lips breathe into utterance wake the thoughts I never knew and thus you neither need reply nor can thus while we seem to talking thou art one forever and I no dreamer but thy dream and so I just thought that was so cool because he was talking about um, how okay you you might be right. It might just be one person talking here, but it's not in the way that you think it is. It's actually this God that you don't think exists that's actually doing all of the talking and is talking through me. I'm much less real than this than this uh being that's doing the talking here right
3: right it's a hard it's a it's a hard one to. flip the switch in a
1: way um so i think i think lewis sometimes does a really good job of explaining this and i'm going to use a different philosopher's language but um the paradigm shift that uh theism christian theism in particular really is compared to most of the time in our culture some kind of atheism whether whether it's the heavy angry version or the kind of more light like I don't really know version of of atheism but um yeah from the outside looking in this is this is exactly what people are seeing right um you're you're praying but i mean what different is is how how different is that from you know my new age or buddhist inspired meditation
2: mm-hmm. right
1: um Right, you're simply just doing an internal process that is helping you calm down or focus or what or whatever the benefit right the kind of self help benefit that you get from doing this stuff um but yeah, there are these moments that at least I claim to have experienced with prayer where I do think that I'm hearing something back um, whether that's In a personal time of individual prayer, or more so, I think in a more um, community-driven prayer, uh, that I can totally relate to what Lewis is talking about is that you have these experiences where, yeah, you're you're talking, but then sometimes you run out of you're talking, you can't talk anymore. You got nothing else that you haven't expressed, and um, the really big moments of prayer, in my experience, are when you think you're hearing something mm. um, and it could be that we're just deluded. I mean, that's what I mean. It's like, it's this paradigm shift, right? If you're, if you, if you want to dig your heels in on the atheist position, I mean, you can dig your heels in all day long. I mean,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't, I don't know what's going to really budge you intellectually speaking. Um, but because there's plenty of alternative explanations <laughs> that for what, i claim to be experiencing in prayer um but i nevertheless claim it and believe it to be true you know believe it to be true i I think i even know it right so it's a dangerous word to use in philosophy Uh, (laughs) right yeah and i think lewis captures the experience um really beautifully Hmm. this is what he's so good at right he's just a master at crafting words
0: yeah, Malcolm Geit, who is, uh, I believe, an Anglican minister, and Paul has featured some of his clips on his channel before, um, he talked about how um, he thinks that Lewis's poetry is so much more profound than even some of his great, you know, um, I can't think of the right...
1: Uh, <clears throat> yeah, his lit- great works of literature, right? Yeah, his great know.
0: works of literature or even, you know, his... Um, uh, prose, I don't know if that's the right term. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he has essays, right? His Essay. philosophical treatises. I mean, he's got some of those, yeah.
0: Yeah, and um, I'm just starting to stumble into some more of his uh, poetry now. Um, I've started um, reading the, the first things that I could find that he ever published, and both of them were poetic works. And um, on the Rando's channel, Sherry from the Discord, and who's also talked to Paul, and I have worked through um, some poems from his first book. His first book was just a collection of of poems. And then his second book is one narrative poem, which I've read. uh, And I haven't really gotten into the depths or finding a lot of appreciation yet per se in that narrative poem. But just seeing a a poem like this, I can see what Geit was talking about uh, and, There's another one that he sticks in. I I want to say it's in miracles. I want to say it's at the very beginning of miracles, where he just tells this this story in poetic fashion of this meteor that hits the earth, and I I can't even really you you just have to read it to yeah sense of of what he's doing with it,
1: but yeah, poetry is like that. <laughs> yeah. Right If you could put it in prose, you probably would have right. Right. Yeah.
0: If I could explain it, then I'm destroying it. and I think that that's, um, that, that's an issue with a lot of, a lot of life and a lot of the things that are profound about existence is if you can if you can start to break it apart and just describe it um, at each level that you dissect um, you start to lose. Like the what's what's the saying? Um something about the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And as you start getting breaking all of the parts down, you just begin to lose. And and perhaps in some sense you understand better, but you know, you might you might be the you might be you might be missing the the forest for the trees as you start to just inspect every little Spec of, of a thing as you've, as you've broken it down. And I think that something about this ties together with, um, you know, you can say, well, this, this is all that, that prayer is, and you can, you can explain things away, but I, I feel like you could, you could do that with just about anything, right? Um, well, well, all that's happening is you're just, you're just setting your you know you're just you're just calming yourself down you're doing a practice and uh there's there's nothing more to it than that and then you know i c- i could just easily come at that from another angle and say well well what does that mean though you know who who are you who is doing the settling what what you know there there's a i think there's an infinite depth of um not being able to to understand what it is that we mean when we say certain things. You know, there there's just a there's a depth that you can go to where it's just like, well, you are taking a lot of things for granted when you are explaining it in this way, you know. Um, so i d I don't know if that makes any sense, but it, it just seems uh, to me yeah. to me that you can you can explain anything away depending on um what your presuppositions already are. Um Again, don't know if that makes sense, but it that's the way it appears to me.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm completely on board with everything that you said. I don't know if, I think the only thing I would have hesitance to say is that if you go to explain it, you're destroying it. Um, I don't know if that's, if to go so far, uh, if I could go that far. But I get what you're saying. Like, you you're certainly reducing something by offering an explanation
0: maybe Um, what i mean maybe destroying is too strong of a word but you
1: well others have said that (laughs) if you're not the first
0: well maybe what i mean by it is um yeah i'm uh, i'm 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 running off in different directions here but i i think i saw you say on the discord that you're um you're high in openness and also high in um uh disagreement i can't remember
1: yep Yep, that's exactly right. That's what just happened here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I think that's good. I am I am high in agreeableness. <laughs> I'm very high okay. in agreeableness. And uh I wanna say I'm low in conscientiousness. I would have to go back and look at it. But so I'm I'm always concerned about um well I I always see everybody else's perspective. So if somebody disagrees with me, I don't immediately just say no, you're wrong. I say, "Huh, let me let me see it from your perspective." That you you are probably catching something that needs correction in me. So I'm going to I'm going to go in that direction. And so that's why I was I was so apt to jump in and say, "Well, maybe destroy was too strong of a word because I'm starting to analyze now what I think and perhaps what I mean is um there is a certain quality that you can lose if you become hyper-focused on um, reducing things down and analyzing each piece. And I I think there's a, certainly a value in that, but it just depends on where it lies on your, on your hierarchy of of what's most important.
1: Right. Right. Um, Burn is really big on this. Um, One of the guys that, was the head of the Lebrie in Switzerland for a long time, and was when I was there is huge on this the danger of re- reductionism is what I think the way he usually phrases it right like and and there's a big reason why these two guys who are so involved with the think this way is that Schaefer was big on pointing this out um, and he he was an extremely conservative Christian, both socially you know morally. Uh, politically, and uh, theologically, but it doesn't usually go together that uh, somebody like him would have such a high appreciation for art, but he did, Mm. and he made a really big deal of it in his writings and certainly to the people that came and visited him at Labrie, and one of the things that he claimed over and over and over again is that um, art is actually prior to philosophy. That was A big claim. Now, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent on board with it, but that was what Schaefer certainly put to the forefront, and for very much the same reason as you just articulated, is that art has so much more meaning than what philosophy can capture. Um, As soon as you start doing philosophy, right, then you're trying to put into prose, right, give a really rationalized understanding of something, right um and you do that at the expense of maybe some other aspect of the art uh and then you like you said lose the forest for the trees right you you get really into your nitty-gritty philosophy and um you've missed some other aspect of the experience of the art um by doing so so i don't know that it destroys the art in fact the art is still there but you maybe miss it now. Right. Uh, you don't see it as well anymore if you get hyper-focused on the prose explanation of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There's a there's a Lewis essay called um, Meditations in a Toolshed, and that, uh, that YouTube channel, C.S. Lewis Doodle, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not.
1: I haven't yet. No, I haven't seen that. Uh, maybe I'll go check it out.
0: So they recently did a, a version, they, they did a treatment of that essay and it, um, oh man, it makes it so much more rich to watch them like draw out the different concepts and ideas that Lewis is writing about as he's doing these things. But one of the points that he makes in, in that essay, and I know he's made it in other places too, is you can't, um, you can't at the same time analyze an experience and have the experience. Yeah. And I can't remember the examples that he uses, but you can't. Oh, what? What's a good
3: example?
1: Well, one. Well, I mean, it's. I've got an example. Yeah. So, um, you see this all the time, and uh, various various people, like it's a wide ranging observation that people have made, is that you know we've got this device right here that's a camera, right? so I either can experience the moment, or I can take a picture of it. Mm-hmm. But if I take out my camera and I start thinking about how to make the ideal shot, right? Is the lighting right? Um, is this really truly capturing the experience? I'm 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 outside the experience now, right? Yeah. I'm not actually experiencing. And this is one of the things that I've noticed that Switchfoot shows this is actually a good little connection, right? Just like any other show, it doesn't matter if it's Switchfoot or not. But a lot of people are like, well it's really paradoxical because they're like, I don't want to miss this experience. Right. I want to be able to revisit it right. later, but by doing what they need to do to record it, to experience it later, they are missing it. Yeah. So it's this weird thing where, um, you know, people put up their phones at concerts, right? Mm. Like, um, yeah, yeah. And this is this, this trade-off that, that you're point have your finger on that Greg Lowry is the guy I was talking about earlier with, uh, Labrie Mm
3: -hmm.
1: I I remember him talking about this endlessly at the time and he's talked about it since is this idea of image versus imagination or experiencing versus you know capturing the experience Um, Mm -hmm. yeah it's this really weird paradoxical thing um, that many philosophers and artists and comedians before us have pointed out that I think it's really true
0: yeah I think a, a good example. I think this was one of Lewis's examples that just came to mind. Is you can't you can't think about the act of reading while reading something. You can't think about oh I'm looking at this letter and I'm piecing these letters together to form you know to to recognize this word that the author was using and you can't also think well oh I'm using my eyeballs right now and I'm thinking about how eyeballs work <laughs> as I'm. As I'm reading this now, that can't—that does happen to me sometimes. Not that specifically, but while I'm reading, I do start thinking about something else. But then I'm no longer, you know, paying attention to to what's going on and, and what I'm reading. But um, I also find that phenomenon that you you just the example that you just used about you know um, capturing a moment versus experiencing a moment. Right? The people at the concerts try to do both. I feel like that phenomenon happens a little bit and this would tie back to why the in person is so important of these conversations right
2: yes
0: us recording this right now and even just in the back of our minds thinking about the possibility that this could go out and other people could see it and what are people going to think you know it it does alter the the flavor or the the tenor of our conversation a little bit at least at least from my perspective i don't i don't know if anybody experiences this i, I think there's some kind of theory out there as well about um how people act when they know that there's a camera on versus <laughs> how they do when when they don't uh, and um i feel like to a certain extent that happens here and the rebel wisdom channel has one episode out there where i think they had their first live event together and i think brett weinstein and and his uh or weinstein uh and his wife <laughs> right. heather Hying and what if somebody else was there? I can't, I can't remember who exactly it was. Um, but anyway, uh, they, they filmed the first part of the session. And then they said, now we're intentionally turning off the cameras because we want to allow for more freedom for people to actually discuss and get their real thoughts out there without concern for, you know, um, the fact that this could be heard somewhere else, or this could be, you know, uh, this could be broadcast someplace or, or become viral or something like that. And I think that that just does change uh, the way conversations go as well. So again, that ties back to the importance of, of being able to have, you know, face to face in person, you know, this is the only record that this is on is, is the other human consciousness that I'm interacting with or the, or the group of, of, of the humans that are together. But this isn't, This isn't being quote unquote recorded in any other way.
1: Right. I think you're 100% right. I mean, yeah, it's true. Although, you know, you you can still push past some of that um, if you get really engaged in certain Mm -hmm. ways. It's funny. I think one of my favorite interviewers right now, um, maybe my favorite uh, at the moment, is a guy who uh, makes people eat insanely spicy chicken wings while oh, yeah. he interviews them <laughs> <laughs> and so you know the people know that they're doing you know a promo thing for their movie or whatever um, but right. they can't focus on that and keep up the persona because they're eating these insanely hot spicy chicken wings right and so they're pulled out of <laughs> right it's why he has the gimmick right it's why it works right yeah. uh you need to have somebody that's going to crack that shell right something or some, you know um but yeah our our church just started doing a podcast um called healing the city that's kind of like our church motto healing Mm -hmm. the city one person at a time it's the full motto so the podcast is called healing the city and it's really been just individual uh conversations much like we're doing with Mm -hmm. individual church members and Uh, I think we started thinking it was going to be like for the wider world in some way, like we were going to offer something out to people outside the church Mm -hmm. and maybe we do that. I don't know. I don't know who actually listens, but um, it's been really awesome just for our own church to realize things about each other that we didn't know. but we run into that same dynamic. Like you sit down for the podcast and people are like, Oh, you know, you've got this microphone in front of you, right. Right. You know, and you're in this recording studio and you're like, Oh man, you know, like you got these headphones Right. So, you know, like this is a production, right. But I, the person I was interviewing with is like a longtime friend of mine who very means a lot to me. And she was asking me these questions and, um, I was going back to these experiences, some of which I told you today in kind of a shorter form, but, um, I, I just, she kind of popped me out of any, any, I just was having a really in-depth conversation with her. I was so focused Mm -hmm. on that and also trying to, uh, articulate as best as I could this experience that I was kind of replaying in my head. Um, so yeah, I, I, got outside of the little recording studio bubble. Um, and that can still happen, but you're right. Um, there's something really valuable about just not having that around. Mm -hmm. It's It's just not there at all. Um, and it's what makes being at Labrie different than what we're doing. Um, as valuable as what we're doing is right. Or being on the discord server or, um, you know, any of these other things, right? It's just there's something way bigger. Maybe in some of the same way that you're talking about the art, right? The, I think this is how we got here, right? In your mind, right? The art versus the philosophy that tries to articulate what the art is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something very different about being at a community like Labrie, a church, a physical
3: church that's meeting, or you know internet
1: church right like <laughs> um yeah. and look hey if internet church is all we got for the time being you know i'm gonna embrace it as much as can like, you know i'm gonna <laughs> go for it full bore but uh but yeah i think i think we i think we miss out on an even bigger thing that's going on when we're in person
0: mm-hmm. yeah i like that I, I really do like that model um that you guys have uh that you've explained to me now we have had in um the churches that I've gone to and the one that I go to right now where sometimes you know a microphone will get passed around but it's in like a very tight context now there are there you know it could break wide open and kind of go wide ranging but it's just um you know sometimes the microphone would just be passed around and just say hey tell us you know what you're dealing with or tell us you know what's on your heart or something like that um, but just the one where it's like, okay, well, you know, tell us what what maybe you heard and and I don't know if this is the context of how the microphone is passed around q and a or you know, but it would just be interesting to me because I've also been in pentecostal um backgrounds where it's just like, yeah, you know, tell us what you're hearing out of this message, you Ooh, know
1: man, yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> i've
1: been I've been there too yeah.
0: it's not
1: it's not the context I grew up in necessarily, but i've i I've been in those those experiences. Uh, those kind of meetings
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so I know what you're talking about just interesting. Um, I could see as it yeah well uh, they could fly off the rails
0: <laughs> sorry we
1: got a little delay <laughs> keep going
0: I could just see as like a, a church leader how I, it could be kind of scary yeah where it's just like all right I let's pass the mic and see what happens
1: <laughs> right so it's not, so we have these values, right. And, and we, and one of them I've mentioned is, is accessibility and another is authenticity. Um, I don't think it's actually like one of our stated values, but I mean, somewhere in the background, one of our values is ama- amateurism. As mm-hmm. in like, Eric sometimes says it uh, as uh, reinventing the wheel. Like, so we, so like the the adage is like don't reinvent the wheel like take whatever somebody has done and and you don't have to do it again and in, and and kind of our way of thinking is actually you need to you need to do it from scratch yourself because otherwise so it's connected to authenticity but it's also about um making sure that we don't we don't prize the production too much and mm-hmm. um so one of the things that I do at the church is I I, I often, am the person that runs the soundboard, like plays with all the little electronic doodads <laughs> so, that the, so that you can hear people, you know, that are running microphones and, you know, playing music and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I learned to do that in a church where it was very much a production, mm. like extremely professional. Like yep. they are good at what they do.
2: Right.
1: And I don't want to downplay the good aspect of like they they really make like a good show
0: excellent um, it was very important, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 right, so it's weird, but what we're saying at our church is we don't want that like on purpose, don't like like mess it up a little bit, make sure it's not <laughs> <laughs> don't rehearse too much, you know, like um it, because then you miss out on the risk. And the the space that people can just be honest about what they're going through and what their questions are, Um, Mm -hmm. and you don't want them thinking about the fact that it was so well recorded last time I listened to it. You want them thinking like this might not even make the recording because we probably forgot to turn it on, right? Yeah, right. Like you want it to be kind of slapdash um, to a certain extent, and you want that possibility of it just falling apart yeah, that's um, a
0: part of the authenticity yeah
1: yeah exactly right i mean you need to have a little bit of that at least a little bit and, and we kind of try to bake it into our dna no maybe it's just an excuse that we're not good at certain things but <laughs> even if that's true then uh it has these side benefits i think of opening up <laughs> people to be able to say what they really think um yeah i mean I don't I don't have a good example because I haven't been looking for it. I haven't been paying attention to it. But, I mean, if you go to the church website and you listen to sermons, many of the sermons have the Q&A as part of the recording. Okay. Um, I should probably ask – I should ask Eric if there's one that's really juicy, like one where, where it's like somebody is really, like, angry about what was said or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and so I could tell you to go listen to sometimes how it goes. It goes off something you know sometimes um, I wouldn't say it's the norm, but I mean it you know it, it, things are said in sermons that make people mad um, yeah. or make people really um grief stricken i mean there's there's all kinds of and and those are not invalid responses right like those are those are real um and so it's not always the time and place to do it, but you kind of have to like open up opportunities where the time and place is not quite right in order to have it happen at all yeah i guess that's what i'm getting at yeah
0: yeah and i mean it's it's things like that that if there is no forum for it at all like you said if they don't get to happen it's not like they just go away or that they didn't that they don't exist right and i think that there's a lot of um there are a lot of things that are unspoken for people who have gone to church for a long time or grew up in church. And because they didn't feel like they had a forum to express it, um, they end up leaving church. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I like about these conversations that we're able to have is it, it feels like a a whole forum has been opened up for people to talk about maybe some things that they either felt silly at maybe best for talking about and feel just completely ostracized at worse you know for talking about and that's what i like about the whole paul vander vander and um mm-hmm. able to have the conversations on the discord you know people sometimes get fiery on there too but at least people.
1: Yeah, I, don't know. I saw it happen a couple times already i haven't been yeah. there long yeah
0: <laughs> so I don't know. I like it. And I like the opportunity to get to meet, you know, new people like you and be able to to have these conversations. And, um, yeah, I might I might start digging into uh, some more of uh, the village church and um, see if there are different ideas that I can bring to the, the church community that I'm in right now to see if they're interested in doing. I also do like the idea of a of a church podcast podcast. Um, the church that my wife leads at, they have their own podcast. And so, um, I mean, I think, I think it's something that, you know, especially in this time, uh, that people could really take advantage of because, you know, there's a lot of people with, um, the the people who are fortunate, at least during all this have some time on their hands now. Um, they need, they need things to to focus their attention on that could you know be beneficial, and so I think the opportunity is um, is ripe right now for um, take advantage is probably the wrong word, but for churches to provide something that could be really helpful for people, especially at this at this time.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right. Getting a, a podcast off the ground right now, um, I mean, and and the focus is right too, right? So you're getting a podcast for the church off the ground, right? It's not, it's not a podcast. That's going to become, you know, viral or big time, right? Right. Like if that happens, okay, so be it. But it's, it can't be the, it can't be the focus of the podcast because otherwise, you know, you're almost guaranteed to failure. Um, And I think that's sometimes what people are hoping to do with things like this, right? They're like, Mm -hmm. well, I'm going to, I'm going to monetize it and I'm going to be a YouTube star and, uh, you know, or whatever and i could care less about that um and and i I think if you're if you and the church or whoever you're doing this with has that attitude i mean it'll be helpful to some people right and that's and that's all that you're really going for but yeah the other way to that i would encourage you to be thinking about is like what is accomplishable where you are
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um so not just like oh, the village is so awesome. <laughs> Let's make plans to move to Tucson. But, <laughs> you know, whatever. If that makes sense to you, fine. But um, I think it's kind of unlikely. My guess is that you're pretty rooted where you are. And it's more about like, is there anything that we're doing that could translate well to where you are? Mm-hmm. Um, are, are you still exploring the Greek Orthodox Church? Are you attending?
0: I, I visited uh, the Greek Orthodox Church uh, one Sunday during their divine liturgy, I, I went to that. Okay. Right. And uh, The pastor of the church that I went to, or the priest, is what it's called in the Orthodox tradition. Um, he's been on with Paul before, uh, Father David Lewis. Okay. Um, and he also hosts um, the local Dallas Jordan Peterson meetup. Um, he hosts it and uh, a co-host of it is actually somebody who was in Paul's Sacramento um, Jordan Peterson meetup that moved to, to the Dallas area. So she got a ringer. Yeah. So I'm not, uh, I'm not exploring um, Eastern Orthodoxy, like in a, in any kind of moving in that direction, trying to make that become my tradition type way. Um, I have been attending uh, and been involved on and off uh, in a local church for over a decade now. And they're in the, the Wesleyan denomination. Um, okay, so it's not Methodist, it's not United Methodist in by name or anything like that. But the, the name of the denomination is Wesleyan, and I think they became the denomination as they exist right now back in the early 60s. Um, there were a couple of different denominations that came together to form this one, um, but they come out that's cool, tradition. yeah,
1: yeah. I, honestly, theologically, that's probably where I am. It's mm-hmm. It's just really funny. I'm probably like I'm probably one of the more anti-Calvinist uh, voices in my church. Um And it's hilarious because uh we were, we have Rod who's like Mr. CRC, like he could uh-huh. be like the president of the whole denomination um, <laughs> and might still become the president of the denomination before too long. We'll see That's how also, things go. Uh, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. But um the church is not a part of the CRC officially. Right. Um, so it's weird. They claim us. We don't, we're not sure how we think what exactly our stance should be to the denomination. And we're, but we're actively trying to figure that out. I mean, that process has probably derailed for a little bit now, but yeah. Um, um, yeah, we're trying to figure out whether we can or should join this denomination, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's laid bare. A lot of these tricky little uh, <laughs> dead ends of, theology and
2: Mm
3: -hmm. uh
1: dogmatics and and all that kind of stuff uh but anyway yeah no i love the village i have mixed feelings about the crc um they're becoming more and more positive over time we're moving in that direction Mm -hmm. but uh yeah so you've been a part of this church for about a
0: decade and (laughs) you're like you're you're in yeah i mean you're yeah i mean and for lack of a better word, I've talked about this before. You know, there's the, there's the nuns and the duns and you not know, affiliated religiously. Um, the, the duns, as I understand it, are the people who would still maybe identify as a certain type of religion. So a Dun could be, you know, somebody out of a Muslim faith or somebody out of a Christian faith uh, or some other faith. But
3: they might say,
0: you know, yeah, I still consider myself that. Thing, but I just don't go to church anymore. I don't okay. do something like that, and so I, 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 on and off, I feel you know most in line with a, a done, and I've called myself a failing done because I still find myself continuing to go to church. You know, <laughs> about this that I know is necessary for me, and an overdone, yes, uh, yes, uh, yes, I'm, over, <laughs> uh, I'm overcooked. But no, I, I, uh, so I'm just no, I'm no good at being a done because I feel like yeah, I I need to keep going. There's there's something in this that is good for me or good for other people, uh, for me to be there or some combination of the two. But I still just feel like there's um there's something lacking, and and sometimes it's it's probably tied into certain theological ways of. Of seeing things, um, and other times it's just tied to uh, not feeling like there's enough um, connection, uh, like the kind it sounds like you're you're talking about that you guys have more opportunities for conversations to open up. Um, it just feels like the the format of uh, a standard Christian church service in the traditions that I've been in just don't really um, foster a lot of that. Like some of the churches that I've gone to, like they'll have like a Sunday school class before the actual worship service. Um, and then maybe every quarter, uh, they'll have some kind of potluck or some kind of event where there'll be a, a the entire church has a meal after the, the morning service. Um, and I know that there are different traditions who do stuff like this with more regularity. I know in the Eastern Orthodox, you know, they have a lot of of common meals together, if not after every liturgy uh, on a Sunday. Um, the one that I went to, you know, they had a meal afterwards. But um, so I don't know. Um, I'm not really sure exactly what I'm looking for. But I know that being able to have these kind of conversations is very um, refreshing and very helpful. And being able to listen to them too, not just even being involved in them but it's one of the things that i appreciate about you know people sharing their conversations with randos united is you you can sit in and listen and hear some ideas that maybe people are really adept at articulating that you have found deep down inside of you but just have never been able to to put words to or or make sense of and and people are able to help you make sense of those things and so that's one of the things i really like about it too
1: yeah, another tie-in from Switchfoot. That's why I am a John Foreman fan, because he writes the songs that I wish I could write. <laughs> right? Yes. He writes the songs that if I knew how to write songs, I would write those. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> at least that's how I feel. I'm like, oh, man, that guy said what I... Yeah, anyway. Uh, I sometimes take stabs at poetry, but I've never been able to get my head around song songwriting. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just some ideas to throw out there that... Um, I've tried from time to time and they're not necessarily ideal, but I mean, they could develop into something that you'd find really valuable is intentionally forming a group of people. And so it wouldn't necessarily be the whole church, but you could find a tighter group of people who you know you're going to go out to lunch with after service, right? Like, and that will be our routine, right? We Mm -hmm. will, we'll go to church and then we're going to go to brunch, lunch, whatever, after the service and the reason why we're doing that is to foster the kind of conversation that we've been talking about i
2: mean Mm -hmm.
1: like that's the point of it um and i did that a lot in college because i wasn't really tied down to a a particular church community um and and i don't know if i did it consciously but looking back on it i think that's what we were up to um and and it, it, it it's sometimes hard to do in a church that the the church as a whole the structure of the church as a whole is not really mm-hmm. fostering it but um it can be done and if for example i had to move back home and go to the church i i grew up in um mm-hmm. which is like a 2000 member big show production right like Absolutely. so you go in you go into the show and you you experience the show and it's you know it's like a somewhere between like a concert and a broadway musical and yeah know, yeah was it, was it non-denominational mm-hmm. well i mean officially for a time it was part of the presbyterian church usa okay but, i mean that was if you're familiar at all with willow creek and the kind of model that willow creek has put out to the yeah, world I went
0: to a willow creek the model church yeah down in, in texas for probably about five years Okay,
1: yeah, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hopefully some other people who whoever listened to this know what that means. But in any case, that's, that's kind of the way that they tried to do the church. There's a lot of good that comes out of that. I mean, you always have to consider when critiquing something, what was it before, right? <laughs> So yeah. it may have been moving in a positive direction to go to Will Creek compared to what it was. I don't know. I mean there's a lot of stuff. I was just dropped into it, you know, I was like born into the pews there,
2: right?
1: Because <laughs> my, well, my friend would always joke, we were born into the pews, he and I um grew up grew up in this church and uh right. So I mean, and now they don't even have pews, right? It's like totally the will you know, like they're like it's like um I don't even know what to say exactly. It's kind of like if you went to a a conference, right? Like, if you went to, like, um, a motivational speakers conference, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, they're chairs, right? So, they're not pews, but they're, like, rows of chairs that are, like, comfy individual seats that could potentially break apart, even though they're not, anyway.
0: Yeah, like a theater setting or a lecture
1: hall type mm-hmm. thing. Right, right, and it's all carefully crafted. I mean, all of these choices are very conscious, like, they're, they're making, anyway, so you go to this, and it's a big production and it's all very nice and polished and you know uh and then and then you and your family go to Costco after or something I don't know right like or you go home and you watch the 49ers play on TV that was that was kind of our, our family liturgy uh growing up for a lot of it you know and I don't mean to bash on that I mean that I got a lot of uh watching the 49ers with my dad but um if I had to go back to that church I, I think I would purposefully create that kind of thing for myself and whoever I could get to join in with me,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is like, I am going to lunch here at this restaurant after church, join me and we're going to talk about the sermon, right? We're going to mm-hmm. talk about, you know, what's going on in our lives and the sermon and how they interact with, you know, like how's this apply to what yeah. we're thinking or, um, what's going on in our lives or, you know, what about the sermon just was off or, you know, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, That's probably the strategy I think I would use. I I would much prefer it to convince my church to, you know, serve lunch for the entire church after the service. Uh, The logistics of that with the way that it's currently set up. (laughs) I don't know. That would be nearly impossible because they made all these conscious choices that kind of rule it out. But um, ideally, that's what I would want. I would mm-hmm. want to convince them. No, no, really. Like, have a meal after the service. It's it's the way to do. It's so much better to do it that way. Um, but yeah, that's probably what I would resort to. Yeah, I don't. Tr- I don't
0: know if that's. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the way that that's set up in the the whole um willow creek model uh with that large of a number yeah i don't know how you would coordinate something like that but yeah i would i would be completely on board with it too i don't know how we're gonna do it but let's figure it out
1: <laughs> right 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 exactly and you know there are churches that have started in the same place as the church i grew up in and or where the church is now and they consciously moved to you know doing a meal after the service like it was um there's a a church nearby, um, you know, it's like only a few blocks away in fact, and they do that. Um, but one of the reasons they did that is like the pastor who was like the figurehead guy, like abruptly left the church. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so sometimes disaster <laughs> provides this opportunity, like you were talking about with the coronavirus. Like maybe now's the time to start a podcast, right? right. Maybe something crazy happens with the church, and now's the time to roll out the uh, the meal after service. Who knows, right? Like, <laughs> I don't. I'm not wishing disaster to pull all your church. By the way, no. I'm just saying, like, who knows what it'll be that transforms something? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I get to have more of a voice within my really small church, one, because it's small, but two, because I've allowed myself to be called into leadership at the church, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) which is pretty much like Eric saying, coming over, you know, my next door neighbor walking across the street and says, Michael, you want to be on leadership? It would really mean a lot to me if you were. And I'd be (laughs) like, all right, Eric, I guess I'll do it. right it's it's this it's this friendship thing right i mean like it's not because i'm the best person for the job although i have qualities that are helpful to the church but it's more just like eric asked me to do it so right He's, yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that's cool yeah those are those are some interesting ideas i'll have to i'll have to think through it some more and and see what the logistics are like um you know some i have I'm I'm at a station in life, too, where certain family obligations or ability to have time with my own family just happens to intersect right with when, you know, I, I would have to choose between mm-hmm. my family that I don't have at any other time during the week or time with my church, you know, group. Yeah. You know, it's, so it all, it kind of, there's, there's like a certain season right now where I can't really do a whole lot about it, even if I wanted to. Right.
1: Yeah. And we're all running into that here at my church as well, right? I mean, like, we used to be able to be, you know, college students who we could drop everything, you know, instantaneously, you know, and we would go over to Eric's house and we would stay talking like past midnight, just, you know, doing whatever because we were college kids, right? And there wasn't, (laughs) we didn't have wives or kids or, you know, like, but now we do, now we do, right? And so, Um, my really good friend who I came like a big reason why I ended up in Tucson and at the village and going to the University of Arizona and all this stuff right like I I don't it's funny I called him the other day on my phone or texted him I think I sent him a meme or something it was like he's an engineer and it was some kind of funny engineering meme (laughs) and I sent it to him and he replied back he's like who is this (laughs) and I realized we hadn't like Used our phone to communicate with each other in so long, that he didn't even have my number anymore. Oh wow! And right, I, I still consider him a really, really good friend, but I mean, like, we don't have the kind of interaction that yeah. we used to, no. because he's got two kids that are like under the age of six. So, mm. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> understandably right. That's where his focus should be. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I. I totally understand, you know, you've got to, you've got to figure out how to spend time with your kids and create a a good family life. And um, that's really,
3: really
0: valuable too. (laughs) Um, Right. Well, speaking of that, I've got to get running. I'm sure you've got stuff to do too. So.
1: I do as well. Yeah. I, um, I have a daughter um, that, we uh my wife and i are needing to spend time with really really soon so yeah yeah
2: understand
1: that. all right well this has been great really enjoyed it and yeah. thanks for inviting me on and um we can maybe do it again with or without recording and we'll definitely see each other in discord
0: yeah for sure and um i don't know about you but i'm okay with with publishing this um so okay forever. yeah me too okay cool well yeah it was good to talk to you it was good to meet you this way and um i'm really jealous that you guys got to have uh you got to have the meet up with paul and job and oh yeah but i'm glad that you got to be a part of that too
1: yeah and it was really good for job really really good for job so um i'm really thankful that it happened the way that it did um but yeah, I hope that we can share them with the wider
0: world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, uh, selfishly, you know, I, I wasn't able to come just because of various obligations. I would, I would have come out to Arizona if I could have gotten away with it, and if I could, oh, have, wow. okay. if I could have smuggled my way onto that entire road trip, I would have done it if I'd have gotten the time off. And I would, you know, I would have tried to persuade john and and paul and Job to let me tag along so uh you know if if this trip picks up again i would i would love to be able to be a part of it or to be a stop on the way
1: so i, I think it's actually likely i don't know when i don't know exactly the details but i think it's i think that uh, it'll happen um, yeah. but they may have to raffle off seats in the car because i don't think you're the only one that wants to right. tag along <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I don't mind heat, so I wouldn't care if, you know, the hot air was blowing on me.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you say that now. Well, you do live in Texas, so you know
0: what you're talking about. Well, yeah, it's, well, it's it's probably a little bit hotter in Arizona than it is in Texas, I would guess.
1: Sometimes, but, yeah. uh, you know, like they like, this is like the mantra of Tucson, but it's a dry heat. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? It's a great little meme with like a skeleton, you know, like. Just you know, and then it's and then it says, but it's a dry heat, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, Michael, enjoy your time with your family. I'll do the same and, and we'll try to connect up sometime again soon.
1: All right. Bye
3: for now. All
0: right, bye for now. Take care.